Hey everyone, it's Heather. I'm so excited about our new resource for single women, Authentically You. One of the most challenging parts of life is navigating relationships. This can be especially true for women who have been tainted by negative sexual experiences and mistakes from their past, or when the struggle with porn and masturbation takes hold and won't let go. This leaves them feeling distant from God, separated by the weight of shame and regret. If this is you, you're not alone. Authentically You was written specifically for single and college-aged women, those who are on the working career path and those who are in college. This 20-lesson curriculum is easily adaptable to a busy work schedule or a college semester system. Through this group experience, you'll explore how your past pain and trauma contribute to distorted beliefs and an unhealthy thought life. You'll uncover the role your family of origin plays in your past and current behaviors and address the issues that perpetuate compulsive and addictive patterns. And through the use of weekly exercises, strategic tools, and self-care focus, you'll learn how to live in health, how to live as your true, authentic self. I know God has a plan for your life to bring you to a place of health and wholeness. If you allow it, God will do amazing things in you and through you. So pre-order today, Authentically You. Go to puredesire.org A-Y. That's puredesire.org A-Y. You're listening to the Pure Desire Podcast, your safe place to find hope, healing, and freedom from sexual addiction, betrayal, and relationship issues. Hello, hello. I am your host, Trevor Windsor, and you are listening to episode 140 of the Pure Desire Podcast. Here with me, as always, my co-host, Nick Stumbo. Yo, ho, yo, ho, a pirate's life for me. All right. In full disclosure, you, you listener out there. Uh, I did suggest that Nick use that intro. I did not know did, he was going to sing it. I'm oh, so sorry. I figured you I'm were so, asking so, me to. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so good. Look, we've got an awesome episode for you today, and you will hear the tie-in for why Nick used that intro. A couple things quick. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't. You can find us on all the major platforms. And if you give us a review, it actually helps more people find the podcast. Also, you can share these on social media. We have these on our Facebook page uh, and all over the internet. So share these as well. Also, if you're not following us on social media, you should do that. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Pure Desire PDMI. And you can also watch some clips from these episodes on YouTube. Just search Pure Desire Ministries. All right. So tell people why the yo-ho, yo-ho. Well, not only is Pirates of the Caribbean a fantastic ride at Disneyland oh, on a so rainy good. day so because good. it's indoors and it's air-conditioned and it's, <laughs> it's awesome, but no, more than that, um, getting to have Nate Larkin on today who authored a book called uh, Samson and the Pirate Monks, mm -hmm. so a very unique title, and we talked today about uh, why that is, but I, I think for the listeners that maybe don't know Nate or ever heard from him, I think what makes both he, he and his book so... Um, appealing is just the honesty and and someone willing to call out what they've seen in their own life, what they've seen in the church, and and how we can change to move towards authentic community that really is transformational. So he's he's a great guy. You know, he's in yeah. his 60s and he's still doing it. I think he told us today he's like 22 years into recovery. And yeah. so just awesome to hear his perspective. Really appreciate him a lot. Yeah. And he is a great communicator. Uh, had a lot of good stuff to say. So this is going to be a good yeah, one. Yeah, take your pens out, write down some notes. That's I right, while you're driving. <laughs> Enjoy the episode. Nate, thank you for joining us. Thanks for being here, man. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure. So, so happy to be on your show. Yeah, we uh, we honestly have been trying to We're get excited. you on the show for a while now. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Google yeah. Calendar, and your lack of... No, just kidding. We're not going to call them out. We like that, but... Uh, look, for our listeners, we're familiar with you. I know you've spent some time, you and Nick have spent some time together. He's been on your podcast. Um, but for those of our listeners who are not acquainted with you, can you give us kind of a snapshot of your life, your ministry, what you do, live, all that? Oh, wow. Okay, sure. I'm going to compress 63 years into about 63 seconds. There you go. Fantastic. No, <laughs> no I'm... Uh... Uh, the product of a Christian home, more than that, the product of a, of a pastor's family. So my dad was a preacher. I'm the oldest of 10 kids, grew up uh, in a very devout home and was marked from childhood for the ministry hmm. uh, because I just had a natural ability to do the things that, uh, you know, play well in church. So I could sing, I could talk, uh, I had a good memory back then for scripture and um, and also a, 
a sincere love for God from an early age, made a decision for Christ as a child and uh, was the Christian kid in school, always well behaved. Um, but uh, problems began to arise at puberty. As they often do. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? yeah same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, uh, there is also some trauma in my story. Mm -hmm. So my mother had succumbed to a mental illness and then died by her own hand uh, when I was nine years old. Oh, wow. Uh, and then we had, uh, my dad remarried. It was not in those early years, a very happy marriage or a very happy home. Mm. So uh, lots of trauma, lots of social displacement. We moved a lot. Put all that together with the flood of new hormones that arrived uh, at puberty. And I was a sitting duck mm. for anything that would medicate my anxiety. And sexual arousal certainly did that. And the fact that sex was not a topic that was ever raised in our home. Yeah. Uh, and the implicit messages around uh, sex were all negative. I knew to hide it. You know, I, I, I knew from the moment I saw porn for the first time, for me, it was the glimpse of a Playboy magazine. Um, I knew it was bad, but I didn't know why it was bad. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also felt... Uh, tremendous, sh sh you know, I felt guilty for having seen it and ashamed of having liked it. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> so I did what guilt does. I lied and I did what shame does. I hid. And I did so partly in justification. I, I justified that that course of action. I mean, part of it was self-preservation. I didn't want uh, the punishment that would come uh, if I were discovered. Also, I kind of felt that as a Christian, I had an obligation to hide mm. uh, this growing interest of mine. Mm -hmm. uh, I had to preserve Jesus' reputation uh, in addition to my own. And I worked very hard at that and was very successful. So I, I don't think that anybody really suspected that uh, wonderful little Saint Nate, uh, the, you know, this bright and shiny beacon of Christian, uh, you know, uh, behavior, was developing a porn addiction. Mm. Um, I, I nursed the hope throughout college that marriage would fix it. I really nailed my hopes to that verse, often quoted in our circles, that it's better to marry than to burn. So right. I thought you marry, and you know the fire goes out, there or it's, go. it's now contained within the fireplace, <laughs> and right. uh, everything's going to be just hunky dory. And, uh, you know, sex did turn out to be wonderful, not as wonderful as it would have been if I had not carried into marriage all the expectations, yep. the unrealistic expectations that porn had provided. Yeah. Um, so I didn't realize that all those years I'd been not been. Yeah, I <laughs> I'd rationalized my porn use during my college years as preparation for marriage, mm -hmm. unaware that I was actually poisoning my marriage. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, you know, when real life showed up and, um, you know, my my wife and our intimate life did not live up to those unrealistic expectations that had been built by pornography. And when um, really I don't know that I was at that point capable of experiencing true intimacy with my wife. Yeah. It, she, like all women, had by that point become so objectified and I had become so focused on performance or whatever that was that just the joy and the deep pleasure of connection with my mate that God had designed was already out of my grasp mm. and then it got worse uh, in seminary of course I went to seminary because of course I was going to go into the ministry yeah it was in seminary that I got my first glimpse of hardcore pornography up until now, it had all been the softcore stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was, ironically enough, on a seminary-sponsored trip to New York City, hmm. uh, where we were taken on a tour through Times Square, through all the sex shops of Times Square, by a group called Women Against Pornography, so that we could see for ourselves how women are exploited by the sex business. And I, uh, I actually brought my wife along on that trip. I really thought that 
if porn, yeah, because I certainly I, I had already grown to hate pornography, at least as much as I loved it. Right. I was enmeshed. I was yeah. looking for a way out. Yep. And I really thought that if I could see behind the curtain and see how bad it really is, I would stop. Um, and instead, what I saw for the first time was I saw uh, moving images. This is a, a, I, uh, this is before video. This is film. Uh, there, there, it was a peep show booth mm. that we were shepherded into and handed tokens. And my wife sat beside me, and they closed the door, and the lights were out, and we put the she put the quarter in. Wow. wow. And and the projector began to clatter in the darkness behind us, and the images appeared on screen. And these were moving. What I didn't recognize at the time was that that film, moving images. This is an immersive experience, far more powerful than the still images that I had been viewing up until mm -hmm. that point. Um, my, you know, and I had a visceral reaction. My wife did too. She hated it. I my reaction was ambivalent. I too was repulsed in the moment, but at the same time hooked. Yep. And that began, you know, it, it was only days after that, that I started venturing away from seminary, away from home and mm -hmm. scouting places where I could get a dose of this drug. Yep. And uh, so, uh, you know, that continued through seminary. I was so now, I didn't tell Allie what I was doing, but I was so discouraged by my inability to stay away mm -hmm. that uh, out of seminary, actually didn't take a church, although we had a couple offers, moved instead to Florida to join a church that billed itself as a healing community, uh, eventually took a job as the church janitor. Um, and there on a church retreat, heard a priest uh, talk about his battle with pornography it's the first time i'd ever heard porn actually the word pornography spoken inside a church wow. mm. uh, i waited for the, the the ceiling to fall in and it didn't <laughs> I, uh, gasp. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. I was inspired enough yeah i was inspired enough by what he said that when we got back when i got back to our tiny apartment i took Allie into our bedroom and i told her what i'd been doing wow and she's a remarkable woman. Of course, she, in a way, it helped explain to her where I had gone emotionally yeah. because her best friend had disappeared, had yeah. drifted away, had been drifting away. It gave her something to nail it to. Mm. And she told me that she was sorry that I had had to uh, hide it from her, uh, I lied to her about it. She would be my ally. All I would have to do is tell her when I was tempted and she would stand with me. Mm. And And actually... You know, miraculously, in the days that followed, the obsession lifted, and I thought, man, I have found the solution. It's confession. That part I had right. Right. Um, but I concluded that I was going to make my wife my accountability partner in all matters sexual, and nobody else would ever have to know. Yeah. It could be just the two of us, and then I can maintain my false self outside yeah. the house. Yeah. So um, and uh, and what I didn't realize, what I didn't recognize, my wife had actually volunteered for a job that God didn't build her to do. Mm. Um, she, uh, as my wife and as my intimate partner, was never able to hear my confessions about lust for someone else entirely objectively. Right. In her mind, it came across communicating some deficiency on her part. I could tell that it hurt her when I told her. And it was also humiliating to me when I had to start telling her, when I began to move back toward the edge. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, I decided to protect my wife and not tell her anymore. Mm -hmm. Such a noble thing to do, right? right. Yeah, very much have been there. Yeah. Yeah. It's for her good that I hide right. these yes. things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know anything at all about healthy, healthy ex disclosure, and 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 I had no alternatives. I had nobody else to turn to. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Right. To have confessed to anybody else would have been to sabotage my, uh, you know, my career because I still hoped for uh, some time in ministry. And actually, it was during a period of abstinence that I mistook for for sobriety hmm. that I actually found the nerve to start a church. We planted a church. 
uh, and quickly gathered about 100 people. And then uh, the political pressures began, <laughs> which yep. are in, uh, inseparable from yeah. communal life, whether it's a church or, or, yep. or you know, a Kiwanis club, uh, began to accumulate. And before you know it, I am back in the soup yep. and hiding. And then it got worse. A few years in, it got worse when I found myself on a, on a Christmas Eve. It's a story I tell in my uh, I Am Second video, uh, picking up unsuspectingly, picking, picking up on Christmas Eve, my first prostitute, not knowing what she was doing until she was in the car and propositioning me. And already at that point, I was so conditioned by lust and had seen a similar um, uh, scene so many times. Yeah. Your brain knew what to I was so conditioned. Yeah, yeah, you knew what to do. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. I followed the script. Mm -hmm. And in that, at, I honestly, looking back on it, I really didn't see the person in the car. Yeah, right. I really didn't. And, and it never even occurred to me to wonder what would compel a young lady to walk the streets on Christmas Eve yeah. and offer her body to strangers. Yep. Um, mm. But that, that, was, that, that was just a, an, it was the worst night I'd ever experienced that you know later on officiating at the candlelight service on the most sacred of nights right. you know yeah and the worst part of it was knowing in the pit of my stomach that i was going to do it again yeah and of course and i didn't do it right away i prayed that right. i wouldn't i promised i wouldn't but it's a scary place I to be God yeah. i wouldn't and i didn't right away but eventually i did and did again and again and and uh and and eventually i i did that for about a year and was never caught, but I despised my own hypocrisy. Oh, sure. and was yeah. So plagued by the guilt and despair. I woke up on my 30th birthday knowing that I could not keep this up. And my greatest nightmare was that like some of the TV preachers who were now being featured on the evening news and on the front page of the local paper, yeah. I was going to be discovered and I was going to be a laughing stock. Yep. Um, and uh, to me, I knew at that point I was either going to have to quit the behavior or quit the ministry. And at that point, there was only one I could quit. So I, re I retired from the ministry at the age of 30. The ripe old age. Uh, my giving the explanation that I was burned out, uh, went into business, uh, went into the engineering business uh, where I had the great misfortune to succeed hmm. uh, and make a lot of money, which an active addict uh, doesn't need. Yeah. The more money, the more problems, right? Oh, man. Yeah. With even less accountability than I'd had in the ministry. Oh, totally. Sure. Yep. Partner in the firm, yep. right? And I could travel. And, um, and uh, so uh, looking back, when I added up, when I finally got into recovery, I got sober in 12-step recovery not long after we moved here to Middle Tennessee 22 years ago. And my first sponsor, one of the things he had me do in order to get in touch with my powerlessness and insanity was actually to uh, uh, construct a spreadsheet and try to calculate how much money yeah, I had count spent. Count the cost. Oh my God. Face, yeah. face reality, yeah. yeah. Holy smokes. Seriously. Best I can figure, $300,000 wow. on pornography and prostitutes. But that isn't the worst part. For me, my greatest regret is that I spent my children's childhood. Mm. And spent, you know, 20 years of my wife's life and 20 years of mine. But now, 22 years later, um, having experienced the miracle of recovery, mm -hmm. having been driven out of isolation and my, you know, my egotistical drive for self-sufficiency out of my practical atheism. <laughs> into you know forced into a reliance upon a, on a, a power greater than me yeah. and forced to join the human race and become an actual member of the body of christ and actually trust the body of christ mm -hmm. um my life is so rich and our life life is so rich that you know ali and i both agree that as hard as those years were for both of us they were worth it we're mm. We feel blessed to be where we are. So there it is. Wow. Hmm. So 
cool to hear that story because the, you know, the points, I mean, we have very different backgrounds, very different experiences, but the points at which we can say, yep, me too. Yep. Been there. And I think a lot for a lot of our listeners and just appreciate your vulnerability and sharing those stages and just where you were at. Yeah. 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 So, you know, Nate, I'm excited that we're talking to you because I heard your name when someone said, oh, have you ever read this book? You know, the Pi- <laughs> Samson and the Pirate Monks. And I'm like, well, that's a weird title. Yeah, that's like, what are they we said, talking about? I, Is I that think, a Disney book or a movie? Yeah. Or like- <laughs> they said, I, I think you'll really enjoy it. And so I, I got a copy of it and yeah, read it, loved it, thought, man, this guy, he knows what it's like. He's been there. He's walked through some of what I have. And so one of the joys I've had being a part of Pure Desire is getting to meet some of my heroes, those that have kind of gone before and started to pave the way in this area. So tell us a little bit about uh, what prompted the title and that book, and, and what is the Samson Society that has grown out of the book, Samson and the Pirate Monks? Or well, vice versa, I, I te- the book maybe came out of the society. You yeah. can tell us. Yeah, yeah, the book, came out of the, the, the book came out of the society. I'll tell you what, I just finally, the book was, I wrote the book in 2006, I finally read the uh, uh, recorded the audio version last week. Wow, huh. cool, good for and you. And I hadn't read the book in years, and uh, I was surprised it was better than I remembered. I, th- yeah. I don't think I can write that well anymore. That's not a terrible uh, thing. Who is when this your guy? book is better than you remember? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, um, yeah. So the Samson Society started in 2004. As I told you, I got I got uh, sober, got my first taste of freedom in 12 step recovery, beginning in 1998. Uh, really wanted to be able to integrate uh, my Christian faith more directly into my recovery. Mm-hmm. Also, as I began to tell my story, as I, uh, as I got free from shame, began to tell my story to people and uh, allow people the liberty of passing my name around. And you yeah. know, I would say, look, if there's anybody I, you think I can help, here's my phone number. Yep. Yep. Uh, and uh, began to walk with uh, walk with other guys, I found, first of all, that there is a very wide um, range of behavior that is compulsive. There's a wide range of compulsive sexual behavior. Not everybody fits in the same box. Yeah. Uh, And not everybody I told my story to was, uh, I would have called myself a sex addict, certainly without reservation. These guys weren't sex addicts, not in the way, but I never told my story to a guy who didn't have something in his life that was bigger than he is. Totally. Yeah, yep. he could relate. Yep. Yeah. And after I told my story, suddenly I was the safest guy he knew. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And now he would trust me with that thing, that secret that our ancient enemy had been using to beat him into submission day and steal his hope day after day after day. So um, the idea for the Samson Society was, first of all, it's a company of Christian men. And secondly, it's an organization, it's a company of Christian men in which we do not segregate by sin. So uh, you don't have to be a sex addict to join the Samson Society. Uh, it helps, but it's not necessary. <laughs> so w- we do have guys yeah. who's, who's you know, presenting issue as something else. Yeah. But we can all relate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we need a place where we can bring our real selves and say the real truth, and we can walk together and support each other. And so that's what the Samson Society is. Started in 2004, grew uh, here in Franklin, Tennessee, and grew quickly. And um, so the book came out. I wrote it in 2006, and they're actually um, they're not in the audio version, but in the print version, there are sh- vignettes from the lives of many of my brothers also inserted in the book. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, I, uh, we wrote the book more or less together out of the first chapter of the Samson Society here in Franklin. The first half of the book is memoir, mine. Mm-hmm. Right. The second half is really field manual. Mm-hmm. And what we yeah. wanted to do was give guys a picture of how they could start a Samson Society of their own or something like it some principles, some suggestions, and, and some vocabulary. Um, and, and really to appropriate for Christians, you know, that language and symbolism that is part of our rich heritage. So that's what the Samson Society is. So it's not a 12-step program. Uh, we have uh, seven stages. So, uh, you know, but it's, it's the same healing journey. Hmm. But we have, it was kind of an attempt to recover recovery for the church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Right. Uh, so after the book came out, 
uh, guys took up the challenge and about 500 groups started around the country. Wow. Uh, and then a couple of years ago, uh, we finally, we, we became aware that there are so many guys around the country and around the world who, uh, for one reason or another, can't start a group. It isn't realistic or they're, uh, for one reason, or they're not close to one, but they just really need connection. And uh, we really began to believe that it was time for us to uh, redeem the technology that has done so much damage for so many of yeah, us. Amen. Uh, it was, I'm, a, and I'm greatly in debt to Michael Leahy, who introduced me to Zoom technology, got mm -hmm. me in my first yeah. uh, you know, Zoom meeting. Right. I got a taste of a virtual room and, it, and I began to understand for the first time that it is possible to create real relationship even when you're not in the same shared physical space. Yep. And yep. Uh, so we launched online meetings of the Samson Society a couple of years ago and uh, found ways to connect guys between meetings in what we call Silas relationships. Mm. Uh, so in the, in Samson, you don't have a sponsor, you have a Silas, but yeah. you know he's your trustworthy traveling companion, the guy you're talking with every day. And we take this journey together. Yeah, it's so it's good. it's a, it's a joy. Yeah, and we're you know we're seeing the value of the online stuff too. That just it's a reality of our world that a guy if, if they can connect that way and that gets them in a safe place to tell their story, it is so worthwhile. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Tell us a little more. Why the name Samson Society and why pirate monks? <laughs> like those those are kind of foreign yeah. words. Like people are like oh. what does that mean? So tell us the, yeah, yeah, the yeah, origins yeah. of those unique names. Yeah. Okay. Well. Um, the Samson Society, uh, there's a, in Samson and the Pirate Monks, I contrast the stories of two great biblical figures, two heroes who both had spectacular falls, both at about the same stage in their life. One is Samson and the other is David. Um, and one dies of failure after his uh, fall, but the other recovers. And, and we contrast the two and we see the yeah. ways in which David's life is markedly different from Samson. And I think that David was able to recover because he had learned the things that make recovery possible, things that Samson had never learned to hmm. do. Um, I was tempted to, to want to name our group, you know, the Society of David. Yeah. It's a nice aspiration. Real hopeful. Totally. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. And, and it's kind of a pretty name. But, but I really think that the challenge for most of us is to admit what we really are. Hmm. Hmm. And the truth is, um, uh, there's a big part of me that is the same isolating loner, you know, that proud wanderer, uh, that internal guy who just doesn't pray much, doesn't talk much, the guy who yep. really thinks he's above the common run a run of humanity right. he's a very tragic figure uh but there is a big part of me that samson and and recovery from me is it first of all admitting that i'm a samson and learning to live more like david yeah that's good the pirate monk for us uh, it's a name a nickname we acquired about a year in and for us this the pirate monk is a metaphor for the integrated christian life hmm. um all of us in Samson, uh, you know, you know, our, our logo is a monk with an eye patch. All of us in Samson have a, have a very real and sincere monk part. We are Christian guys. Mm -hmm. We love God and we love the things that Christians love to do. Um, but all of us also have a pirate part. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what most of us did for a lot of years was. We tried to kill the pirate and be the monk, hmm. or at least hide the pirate and be the monk. Right. And we, uh, but uh, that strategy, it failed. And it failed partly, I think, because we were under the, the mistaken impression that the monk is all good and the pirate is all bad. Hmm. Well, the monk is a good guy, but he has some traits really that um, are not that admirable or helpful. Yeah, he, you know, he really can become smug and self-righteous. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, he really can isolate quite a bit. Mm -hmm. He can think he's better than other people. 
he can remove himself from the world. And the, the pirate, yeah, he's a bad guy, but he's he's a scoundrel, but he doesn't pretend to be anything other than a scoundrel. He's got that going for him. Right. Uh, he's not going to pretend in the way that a monk might. Um, he's got some courage. He's got a sense of adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He knows how to hang with his friends. Right. So what if we can take the best of both guys mm. and great, put them together metaphor. and be the same guy all the time? Yeah. Right. Now we got something. Yeah. We're going to make the monks a little nervous and we're going to make the pirates a little nervous, but we can be at peace with ourselves. <laughs> totally. Right? That's yeah. so good. Yeah, I like so that. That's I love it. that. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so let's kind of press into the book a little bit. Uh, and you already yeah. mentioned so far that St. Nate thing, yeah. uh, which good for you. <laughs> I wasn't that way. I was the punk kid who everybody <laughs> knew about. But um, you talk about that, and, and really we see it in church. There is a struggle with the culture that it's yeah. it's not okay to struggle with this. It's not not okay to talk about it. We hide it. We keep it in the dark. And so... Yeah. Um, why, in your opinion, is church not a safe place or a real place for this topic? Wow. You know, I do think that uh, moralism has so seeped into the church. Hmm. Um, and, you know, that impulse has been there since the very first days of the church. Uh, we see that in, you know, in the argument, that <laughs> in the confrontation that Paul had with Peter, and Paul said, uh, hey, you, you know, you're starting to pretend a little bit here. Uh, you're relying a little bit too much on appearances and you are sacrificing grace. It's why Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is kind of this, always this pharisaical impulse where I've just got to be good. It's this mistaken idea that what God really wants from me, the primary thing he wants is for me to be a good boy, for me to be a good dog. Um, And we forget that Jesus, you know, I don't know. I'm a preacher, so I could could (laughs) run off right now and and run aside. I don't want to go there. Yeah, but it's tragic. Uh, I think that we have too often replaced the gospel with moralism. Yeah. Well, think- and, and, and we have lost, here's the thing, what's so striking about Jesus to me was the way he reacted in stark contrast to the Pharisees, the way he treated every sexually broken person he encountered, mm-hmm. always with such unfailing kindness, yeah. mm-hmm. with such gentleness, without encouraging them to, to sin more, right? right. <laughs> he didn't endorse yeah. the sin. Yeah. He didn't embrace the sin, but he embraced them. Always did. Yeah. And somehow we think we've got to stone the adulterer. Right. Yeah, I, I think it goes to what you said in your story about you felt an obligation to protect not only your own reputation, but also that right. of, of Jesus and the church. And I think we fall right. into that of like, well, I've got these problems in my life, but I, I know the gospel is true, and I don't want anyone to doubt the gospel mm-hmm. because of me, and so I'd, yeah. I better act like it's okay, because I'll, I'll keep working on it, it's going to get better, but if I can just present yeah. that nice, shiny image, then people will think the gospel's true, and right. I, won't, I won't damage it, whereas in that very scenario, we're creating what we fear. We're creating something right. more damaging to the gospel because we don't address the brokenness. Well, and that's the we thing. Are. That's, so for oh. me growing up, like that was the thing, is I saw my mom and dad, I saw the leaders in the church, and I saw them have all their stuff together. I don't relate to people who have it together. Therefore, <laughs> they're not safe for me to go to. Like I say this, the imagery for me is like my dad was Superman. I don't relate to Superman. Clark Kent, I get him. Life is not easy. Yeah, right. It's not, you know... But Superman, I'm not that. I can't be that. And so I think in a lot of ways, and this is this is just my opinion on evangelism, if we would be more real and raw about what it looks like to actually oh. be a broken person following a savior, that would actually be more inviting for people to join into the church rather than look at how together our life is. It's like, nah, I can't really relate to that. I got to tell you, I am far more effective in ministry today than I was when they were paying me to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm far <laughs> For sure. far more effective than when I was bright and shiny. Yeah. People tell me things now. They open right up and they tell me things they never told me right. when I was pastor. Yeah. Yep. So true. Yeah. Yeah. 
So you talk a lot in the book about the need for community and to be in that kind of a vulnerable group, but you also talk about when you were first you know, invited to go and the struggle that you faced to walk into that group for the first time. And so uh, yeah. re- relate that. Why is it so, even if we know we need it, why is it so hard for us to enter into real community and take that uh, first step? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it's a combination of shame and pride. And this is where I think God is so gracious in, in that he allows us, you know, I, I, I do think that in the end, humility is inevitable. Mm-hmm. In the end, every knee and every will bow, every tongue will confess mm-hmm. that Jesus Christ That's is great. Lord. Humility is inevitable. Yeah. Humiliation is optional. <laughs> yes. So I, I can choose to fall upon the rock or the rock can fall on me. Yeah. I wasn't going to fall on the rock. I needed the rock to fall on me. Mm. So um, I, I needed, I only went to that first meeting in a desperate attempt to salvage what little was left of my marriage. Um, because my ambition was um, to become somehow, to overcome this compulsion and become morally self-sufficient. I really yep. wanted to be, I didn't want God's help so much as I wanted to be God. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Right? Yeah. Um, so it was very humbling. It was also, I carried a ton of shame into that room. Mm-hmm. So I think the double burden of my pride and my shame is what uh, made it so difficult. The first time, the first time I drove to a 12-step meeting, I didn't even go inside. Yeah. I couldn't bring myself to get out of my car and go into the building. Mm. I only went in on my second visit. I only went in after seeing a guy I recognized from church. I followed him in. Yeah. And uh, these days, I try to be the guy who is safe enough that somebody else might follow him mm-hmm. in. Mm, that's yeah. good. I think uh, it's just growing up as an athlete – it's funny because you're talking about how moralism has gone into the church. I think that uh, performance is also the same yeah. thing, like performance-based value. Uh, you know, I play in baseball my entire life. You are loved to the degree that you perform on the field. If you go two yeah. for three and hit a home run and a triple, right on, man. You're on the all-star team. Everyone loves you. Let's go out for pizza. But if, you know, you've got three Ks and you have – sorry, I'm speaking baseball language. If you strike out three I times – I love baseball. Yeah, right. If you ground into double play and you're 0 for 5, like whatever, it's fine. We've got tomorrow. Like go, you know, yeah, go yeah, the yeah, showers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think the same thing is true that I'm, I'm – because for me, when I started stepping into healing, I was a pastor – and I'm like, no, my my value, my identity, my role, it's all going to go away. I'm not going to have any value in these people's eyes if I'm honest. Yeah. And I, it's just sad that performance-based – here's what here's what's sad. What's sad is my inability or my lack of willingness to step into that room teaches me actually what my theology is, what I truly yes. believe. And yeah, yeah. that was what's so cool is, is that paradigm got shifted. I, our friend Rodney Wright says everybody needs to get kicked in the paradigm every once in a while. And I'm so <laughs> thankful that recovery was that kick to the paradigm. Yeah. You know, I also think that um, we have a strategy in the church, a, 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 a well-established strategy of trying to shame people into better behavior. We yes. really think that shame works. Right. Shame and fear uh, are uh, capable of forcing people to change. It, and here's what I believe now. I think shame and fear can force compliance in the short mm-hmm. term. But what they really are going to do are drive us into hiding. Yeah. yeah. One of my great regrets is that during my years when I was an active addict, no longer a pastor, but always very active in church as a leading layman. Um, I participated in the pillorying of other guys who either confessed or were caught in sexual sin. Hmm. If I wasn't throwing the rocks, I was holding the coats. Hmm. Um, and I, I, I was really, and I was doing it in a way thinking that uh, I was, I was going to find a way to, you know, in our prosecution and persecution of those guys and really you know um they were going to learn a lesson and i was going to learn the lesson vicariously right 
but I don't know that they ever learned the lesson and I know I never did. Yeah. And I knew and when it came, you know, I'll tell you what, when it came time for me to face the music, I went to the basement of the church in the middle of the week while all the good people were gone. Yeah, uh, this is a great conversation so far. We're going to take a quick break and uh, talk about a new video course we have. All right, so for many of you out there listening, you know about the Conquer series. We have a 10-week series that we partnered with Kingdom Work Studios to create for men struggling with sexually compulsive behaviors. And for a really long time, we haven't really had anything to offer for women who struggle because we know that women struggle. This is not just a man's issue. This is a people issue. And so uh, we're really, really excited now to be distributing and be partnering with Mo Isom. And Mo has created this eight-part video curriculum that really was created to help start the conversation or really push the conversation forward about sex and Jesus and what it looks like in the church. It's supposed to equip you with practical and applicable truths. It'll answer tons of questions. And and really our favorite part is that it really presses into this really taboo topic of a woman struggling with compulsive behavior sexually. Yeah, I think much like the Conquer series for men opens the door to these conversations for any man, it's the same for women. And Mo has become a really great friend of the ministry and we just respect her for her approach and her solid biblical foundation. But she will help women, um, whether they struggle or not, just help them open up these conversations that usually we're not comfortable having. And so uh, helping women understand just some of the basic, very real questions they have about sex and marriage, um, having a better understanding of singleness and dating and, and what to uh, what would help us a woman have a better approach as in regards to that. Yep. Um, and if there are, there are issues with uh, pornography or perverse dreams or memories of past relationships, like how do you deal with those? And that's, that's the messy stuff we often avoid, but uh, most teaching will guide people really through some solid things. And, and maybe another uh, great outcome is how to have these kind of conversations with your kids. Mm-hmm. I know moms are approaching us all the time at events, like, what about my kids? What about my kids? Well, Mo's going to be able to give some really practical, godly wisdom of what does it look like not only to deal with this in my life, but then to have the right kind of conversations and create the right culture in my home with my children. Yeah, and and Mo is the one who's teaching and the one who's speaking in this, and she is a powerful speaker. She really is. Tons of conviction, tons of experience and wisdom, and we really think that you're going to enjoy this course. So if you are interested, this could be a great on-ramp for you getting into an Unraveled group. Uh, if you are a woman and you are struggling in this area, you can go to puredesire.org slash Mo. That's puredesire.org slash M-O and you can get this video course today. So let's kind of talk about the other side. I mean, you know, walking into your first recovery group or at least sitting in your car for that first one yeah, yeah. and then coming around <laughs> yeah. the second time, which I'm sure you still hung out with the smokers who stand outside of the, you know, the yeah, anonymous right, groups. Exactly. But um, why is deep, authentic community so crucial to healing? I mean, now that you guys have been doing groups for a long time and you guys have online groups and, and all that, uh, why is it that we just can't fix it on our own and we need other people? Well, I do believe that's God's design. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that we are made in God's image. God himself is a relational being. That's mm-hmm. what we as Christians believe. Uh, we are made to be in uh, to be connected to him and to each other. Yeah. Uh, we are part of what's called the body of Christ, not the building of Christ. This is an organism That's good. whose members can only move. Uh, you know, we're, we're so intimately connected, we can only move together. Um, and I think that's part of all humanity. I think that I'm sure you're familiar with um, Johan Hare's uh, famous TED talk with yeah. that, that money line, mm-hmm. you know, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, right. it's connection. Yep. Yeah. So. And he amplifies that point in a book that I just finished a couple of days ago that I highly recommend called Lost Connections, uh, where uh, he argues that the roots, that, that the anxiety and depression that plagues modern Western society is not a sickness and is not caused except in a, f- a very small minority of cases by a chemical imbalance in the brain as we've been told yeah but it's actually a healthy signal it's a healthy response to living disconnected yeah in a disconnected world wow i do know this um recovery only began to happen for me you know, when I when I first showed up in tw- in twelve step meetings, I did not want to join the group. I came there to 
uh, on a temporary basis to get the secret information from the people who had the secret yeah. information. Right. So you could leave and never come back again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now I'll go do it on my own. That's right. That's right. And I'm a good student. I'm a quick study. I got all the literature. I learned all the lingo. Mm -hmm. I was selling it before I owned it. Hmm. But, um, but I did not want to make the emotional decision to join the group. And after the pink cloud dissipated and I was, and my relapse cycles began, I had to face the fact that I could not do this on my own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Only when I actually became willing to emotionally join the group, become vulnerable, to ask for help. I'm very comfortable giving help. I love doing that yeah. because I feel like it puts me in a superior position. Totally. But to ask for help, to admit need, to say what I want and run the risk that I won't get it, uh, to step out of the shadows and show this ugly part and, and trust that I will not be rejected. Um, and I'm so grateful that I you know, that God directed me to a group of people whose acceptance for me was unconditional. Mm, yeah. They didn't have a mechanism for ejecting me from the group. Yeah, that's so good. I, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I love the idea that we can't learn our way into recovery because I think that is, that's kind of the American way. Like if you can't do it, go learn right. about it and you'll be better. And, but there's yeah. this need for each other. And, you know, I just returned for, from some training uh, done by Patrick Karn's uh, group. And both of our trainers emphasized that in trauma and in early childhood stuff, that a lack of attention or neglect is oftentimes yes. as painful or more painful mm -hmm. than physical abuse. Because right. they brought up that in a physical abuse situation, I, I don't mean in any way to minimize someone's physical abuse if you experience that, because right. that's horrible as well. But what they brought up is that in physical abuse, the brain is at least getting attention. You're being right. seen wow. and, and hurt, but you're at least right. being noticed. In, a, in neglect and, um, and, and kind of that not getting attention, the brain feels like I'm not seen, I don't matter. And, and the sickness that comes out of that yeah. is oftentimes more devastating than the physical abuse is. And I just, I think that's, and this is not a Christian perspective at all, that's just it's secular right, right, right. brain research yeah. that's saying, yep. Our brains were literally designed to be seen and to be loved and cared for, yeah. and even negative attention is better than no attention. It's like, wow, that yes. that just underscored for me how powerful relationships are in our health and our transformation. I need you to tell me who I am, right? And, and to use the language of Kirk Thompson, mm -hmm. who I love in yeah. Anatomy of the Soul, we need to feel felt. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. There has good. to be some sense of it. Otherwise, I'm just living in this vast vacuum, just right. floating through space. I was listening yeah. to Andrew Suskind uh, the other day, and he made a striking statement. I was talking about um, attachment styles and attachment disorders. And he said in his long experience uh, as a sex addiction therapist, most sex addicts, he says, would be classified as uh, love avoidant with yeah. an avoidant attachment style. Right. And that certainly is me. Yeah. That certainly is me. Allie and I joke, you know, we've been married now 41 years, going on 42 years. We joke that one of the reasons we're together is we have compatible intimacy disorders. <laughs> uh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, and in recovery, we're learning how to move together. But yeah. even at this stage, we do so kind of cautiously. Yeah. And, you know, uh, one of the reasons why I've found that uh, wives like to see their husbands go to Samson. They'll sometimes push him out the door to go to the meeting. They or like kick them. <laughs> right. They like what comes back because yeah. in those meetings, we are learning non-sexual intimacy. Right. Yeah. right. So good. We're yeah. taking some small risks. We're becoming so vulnerable. And, and then the world doesn't end. The ceiling doesn't fall in. And we come home and we, we just try that thing on, on, on the person we love most. And we begin to build some real intimacy yeah. in marriage. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I was thinking, uh, just using the sports analogy again, um, you know, I, I just think that it's one of those things where, so if you're an NBA fan, you know that you've got 10 to 12 guys on the team and those five guys don't play the whole game. 
They need to get tapped out. They get tired. They need to take a rest. But guess what? You have somebody who can fill that role, who can step in. And I found in my recovery that when I am at a point where I'm feeling triggered or I'm feeling really susceptible and feeling really low, that's where my teammates around me can support me. They can be there. They can, we can have the conversations. They can step in and remind me of what's true. They can help me give like my performance based mindset, just like, you know, I can sit on the bench for a little bit and relax. Like you're okay, man, we've got this. And I think that that is such a huge piece to community that this is something, Nick, I've heard you say a lot too. It's, uh, if you're allowing someone to practically on a horizontal level show you God's grace, God's love, God's mercy, that that there are times where we're like, you and me, God, we're good, man, I got it, but it's everyone else I'm nervous about. But it's that practical, it's, it's God's love being practically shown through the love and affection and acceptance of yeah, other people yeah. in our lives. Man, that's a great gift. And we just, yeah. we gotta, all we gotta do is receive it. Yeah. So, did you watch Sports Center over lunch? No, what's man. The, the sports analogy. No, I just you're use. You're on a roll. I mean, hey, I honestly, I could use a sports analogy for anything <laughs> in my life. I know, so. we all could. Yeah. Uh, I love it. I don't know if you remember, but the opening line of Samson and the Pirate Monks is, I love baseball yeah amen so, so there you go yeah god's pastime so nate go back a little bit to you're starting to talk again about you and your yeah. wife um you you tell the story in the book that your wife reached a point where she was done um you know she yeah. was still in the house but per, perhaps feeling just done so yeah. what did it look like for you to rebuild that relationship and regain her trust yeah it took time um i, I I am glad that I was held back from my brothers, by my brothers, from going home right after I made my first step in my first disclosure and vomiting everything on my mind. Yes. Thank <laughs> them over and over. Oh, man. Uh, and she says today she doesn't know whether she would have been able to survive that. Yeah. Uh, I do wish that I, we had had some help in disclosure because full disclosure didn't come till almost three years in. Yeah. And that was a painful second hit for her. Uh, she knew about the porn. That's when she discovered about, the, uh, learned about the prostitutes. By then I disclosed it to a ton of people, yeah. including our adult children, but I hadn't told her. Mm. Um, but uh, fortunately by then when she kind of got her bearings again and started to come true and regain consciousness a few days later. Uh, she was able to say, I have seen changes in you. You are not the same person who did that. Maybe I'm willing to restart on a new, if we can get some help. Hmm. Um, if you ask Allie when she was very skeptical and rightly so, she was deeply hurt and greatly skeptical that I would ever recover. One of yeah. the things she told me, uh, you know, on the on the night she, the fateful night she caught me downloading porn in my office, uh, was, I still love you, but I don't like you, I don't trust you, I don't respect you, and I don't think you can ever change. Oh, wow. At that point, no promise to change held any water. Yeah. I've been promising change for twenty years. Yeah. I turned over more leaves, and frankly, when I got into recovery, I didn't think I could stick to it. Yeah. I really didn't. I was surprised to learn that it would stick to me uh hmm. recovery turned out to be really sticky thank god um when you ask her when she began to began to believe that maybe change was happening she says it was when she, i be, she start she noticed that i was becoming less defensive hmm. um by that time, I was doing some fearless moral inventory in 12-step recovery. I was actually taking a look at my defects. Uh, I remember uh, coming home. At the, my, my sponsor suggested that I might want to ask my wife to uh, assist me in this part of the inventory. Uh, what defects might I have? And that's not a question I had ever asked my wife. <laughs> yeah. uh, danger, she had danger. been making yeah. suggestions for 20 years, and I had always counterattacked very quickly. Sure, yeah. You know, uh, because I just couldn't, I couldn't handle criticism of any kind. Mm -hmm. So sensitive. And uh, turns out she was, she was, she got pretty enthusiastic about that part of the project. <laughs> and she yeah, was stunned. Finally an open door. When I would, yeah. yeah when, when I would say, tell me more. Can you tell me more? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, because at that point, I am no longer fighting to gain God's approval right. or to uh, preserve my self-respect. Yeah. 
my self-respect is now being built on an entirely different foundation. Yeah. And I think what you said at the beginning there, Nate, is what I would just jump in and emphasize. Your first three words were, it took time. Period. Yeah. And just how many people that go into this process, you know, like we all did at some point when the behavior started to change, we're like, man, I'm rocking it. It's been like three good months. And we're like, look at our spouse, like, well, what's wrong with you? Why are you still mad at me? Like, these three months have been awesome. And and we are so engaged in the fix it, (laughs) I'm all better, let's move on, versus allowing this to be a process that takes time. And in our marriages, more than anywhere, we see this this is a slow, slow rebuild. And I, I tell guys that all the time, like, it's kind of like you blew up the house of your marriage in one fell swoop, and now there's bricks laying everywhere. And yeah. rebuilding that house is a long process yeah. of one brick yeah. at a time, right. picking it up, bringing it back to the house, and, and it takes time. And so just to emphasize that, that yeah. no truer words have been spoken about that relationship. Uh, yeah. if, if people can hear that, it's key. Yeah, she needs care. Yeah. Uh, she needs, I, I'm so glad that help for partners these days has moved toward trauma treatment for yep. wives yep. because what was the best day in our life was the worst day in hers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. We faced the truth and she was hit by the truth. Yep. Um, and, and, and being able to put that together, I'm so, if you'll allow me to, to go ahead and plug something we're doing, I'm just so excited. 15 years in Samson society, we've done lots of retreats for guys and our mm-hmm. retreats are great. We're finally doing the first one for wives this summer. That's awesome. And Dr. Barb Steffens and Lori Hall are coming to do it. And just, we want to give our wives a relaxing, healing weekend. Yeah. And where we're not sending them there to do their work. You want to take a wife off, tell oh, her, yeah. I'm doing my Go work. You need to do better. your work. Yes. yes. What? Yes. You Thank handed you. me an assignment? What is that? How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> no, she needs some care. She needs some healing. Yeah. 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 Yeah, um, I tell guys, I tell guys, look, I, it's a little ugly. Totally. It could have gone better than it did. I slept in a closet for two years. Mm-hmm. I literally slept in a closet for two yep. years. Yeah. And it was part of our in- process of individuating. My wife needed some distance. Uh, uh, I needed to learn that sex is truly optional and mm-hmm. I could have a full rewarding life without it. I needed to get over my mm. deprivation mindset. Yeah. I needed to walk in some fresh freedom. Uh, that's not necessary for everybody, but uh, that's that's the road we took. Yeah, yeah. I, I think too, so just good. like, and we talk about this a lot here, just recovery is a lifestyle. It's not something yeah. that you do and you graduate from, you get the diploma and you move on to something else that reco- maybe, you know, maybe the emphasis of your recovery changes over time uh, uh-huh. due to what you choose to numb out on, but recovery is definitely a lifestyle, no doubt. Yeah. So uh, let's say that there is, because this is what we found is that it's not just a man's problem anymore. Um, if it ever was, this is something that both men and women can struggle with 100%. Um, let's say someone is stuck in that pattern of, of sin and that compulsive behavior. Um, but man, as the three of us know, breaking out of secrecy and isolation is scary and very, very risky. What encouragement would you give that person in breaking out of the secrecy and isolation? Yeah. You've got to find a safe place to go. So you guys have created a safe place. Uh, you know, we've created a safe place. Uh, fortunately, the, the church, at least parts of the church, yeah. uh, is starting you know, to, to wake up and allow the conversation. Uh, yeah, but there's, in my experience, there is no private way out of this as much as I, mm. you know, I, I begged God for years for a private solution to my private problem. And that whole prayer was running counter to his grand intention. Yeah. So bargaining with God doesn't work, huh? No, 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 if no. you'll no, only no. set me free, I'm I will. Write this down, guys. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I've been yeah, there. Yeah. And find, so, but find people who uh, are already on the path. Yeah. And, uh, and by the way, you know, we're talking here a lot about the, the absolute central necessity of having relationship. It's also helpful if the people you are in relationship with kind of have an idea of where they're going and they have some structure. Uh, and that's why I'm so grateful for what you guys have provided in the seven pillars training, 
we got a lot of guys in Samson now are picking up that ball. And uh, yeah, we bet we, we learn from each other. We yeah. benefit from the, from yeah. the experience of one another, but in the end it's, 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 it's not a, it's not a curriculum. It's relationship. That's what it's all about. It's yeah. a connectedness. Yep. Yeah. It's yeah. Good. Yeah. The, the curriculum creates a context to go deeper in those yep. relationships. Yep. Yes. Because yep. now I'm talking about things I otherwise would never have talked about. And I'm doing it with safe people that are talking about the same thing and yep. the, the bonding that comes. That, you know, that's what I hear from men and women in pure desire groups. What I expect you hear in that Samson yeah, yeah. society setting is like, I'm talking to people about stuff I've never been able to talk about, and they still like me. In fact, it seems yeah. like they like me more the more honest I get. And <laughs> right. they move in. That's yeah. what creates the change. Yeah. 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 So tell us a little bit more about that. The Samson groups, you've already mentioned a little bit how they're structured, but I think most of our listeners are probably familiar with a 12 step approach. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. Uh, just talk a little bit more about how does a Samson society differ? from what our listeners might know of a 12-step group? Because as you said, you're not a 12-step group. It's a little different. We're not different. a 12-step group. So but how, we kind how of, do you distinguish we borrow that? A lot of the, yeah, we borrow a lot of the spirit of 12-step. Uh, so for example, uh, Samson Society meetings are run by volunteers. We don't have a designated uh, facilitator. Uh, we have a meeting format. Anybody who can read can lead. Huh. Uh, it's, a little, it's a little trickier in the online meetings. Uh, but any volunteer can run an online meeting, can start one. We just have to show you how to run the controls on the website. Mm -hmm. uh, but we want to create a place. So the meetings are an hour long, start on time, end on time. Uh, unlike the standard 12-step meeting, uh, we open in prayer. We actually have a, a statement of faith that's read at every meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a scripture we read at every meeting. Uh, but the heart of the meeting is the sharing time. Absolutely. And thanks to the capabilities of Zoom technology, uh, we're able to do online the same thing we do in local meetings. When it comes to sharing, we break into small groups of four, five, six, no more than seven guys per group so that everybody has a chance to share within that designated time. Yep. So uh, we don't have a, uh, a lesson for the meeting. Uh, and we have, uh, you, can, you can choose from uh, 150 suggested topics or go off list. What we found is in the end, it really doesn't matter what the topic is. If we as Christians are gathered in the Jesus name, he's promised to be there. Yep. And if we bring ourselves and say the real truth, my experience, uh, uh, 20 years of being in meetings like this is if I bring my real self, by the end of the meeting, I have heard something I've needed to hear and I've said something I've needed to say. And I've never walked away from a meeting saying, you know, that was a waste of time. I always, I always leave going, man, I'm so glad I went. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have to drag myself to go. <laughs> sure. It's the exact opposite of my acting out episodes. I never had to drag myself yeah. to a strip club or a, yeah. you know, I just go. kind of was drawn there like a moth yeah. to a flame. And I never left going, that was a good idea. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I always left going, I'm never doing that again. Yeah. Right. So it's great to have, uh, yeah, to have this opposite experience. Yeah. What a great observation. Yeah. So uh, let's talk like vision for the future for Samson Society. Uh, what, like, how can people be involved? What are you guys up to these days? Just let people know yeah. how they can get more information. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. Well, uh, you can check the Samson Society website. There's no P in Samson, by the way. Got it. S-A-M-S-O-N. Samsonsociety.net or .org or .com. I think all three will get you there. Fantastic. Um, if you want to attend an online meeting, which by the way, are especially uh, good for people who are in full-time professional ministry. Mm -hmm. If you're a pastor, um, I, you can encourage, and I would love for you to encourage and support the formation of a Samson group uh, or a pure desire group in your church. But if you want that level of vulnerability and authenticity and honesty, it's gonna be difficult for you to participate that way in that group and you're going to make it probably tough for the guys in the group who want to impress you yes that's right seriously so uh, we have lots of pastors who show up in the online meetings so you can uh you can 
but in order to get into the online meetings, we want to keep those safe. Mm-hmm. The only people we want in the meetings are people there for their own recovery. So you have to first attend a newcomer meeting. It's kind of, uh, uh, we run at this point, seven newcomer meetings a week, and we're going to really ramp those up in the next couple of months. Uh, it's kind of a two-way interview, so we can explain yeah. what Samson is and yeah. we can get to know you. And uh, if it's a fit, then you give us your information and an email address, and we'll send you a link that gets you through the door and into these online communities where you will meet some of the greatest guys in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, I just love men in recovery. They're, when we're tired of hiding and pretending and we're just yeah. there to be ourselves, <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. And when it's real, real fellowship and not that kind of towel snapping <laughs> locker room crap that, you know, we, that passed for masculine, I don't know. Sure. I'm over the pancake breakfasts, by the way. Yeah. I want something more than that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Amen to that. And, yeah. You know, I just want to speak to our listeners and say this doesn't in any way have to be an either or. It's not either you do Samson or you do a Seven Pillars group that, for men, I, I've talked to a lot of guys that the engagement in both can be really, really yeah. healthy because they've got Seven Pillars, you've got the curriculum you're working through and developing, yeah. the relationship with those guys. But a lot of men early on in recovery say, I, once a week is actually not often enough. I, I need more places to check in. And yeah. so being yeah. engaged in a Samson group in addition to that can be a, a wonderful thing. And and the flip side, I know as, as Nate's talked about, guys that have done Samson for a long time see the need to have a structured process. So they adopt some Seven Pillar stuff. And that's what I, yeah, I love about exactly. having you on in this conversation is we're we're working, uh, you know, step, step in... We're in step with each other on how we want to we help, are. and they're, they're yeah. really w- things that can be congruent. So I encourage our listeners, man, check one out. And if you're just yep. hungry for more honest, real community, um, check out what Samson can offer, because that could be a real valuable resource in yeah. your uh, recovery. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, really what sticks out from today's conversation is that uh, we need to be willing to face what's going on in life. We've got to do it in community, and we've got to continue pushing in. Don't ever leave that community. So if you want more information on Nate, Samson Society, you can visit their website, samsonsociety.com or net or org, or you could try all the other ones if you want. They got and, a bunch of great and resources. Without a P. I've been misspelling <laughs> no that P. since Bible college. No P. I have not, so I feel good about myself. You can also check out their groups, their resources <laughs> there. And then Nate's book, Samson and the Pirate Monks, is on Amazon. Go check that out. Uh, Nate, man, thank you. We got you on. Finally, we've had the great conversation. <laughs> Thanks for being here, man. Appreciate it. I really enjoyed it, Trevor and, and Nick. Great talking to you. And uh, yeah. Thanks, man. Love you guys. Love you guys. Thanks. Okay. And we love you too. And, and look, we hope our conversation today gave you hope. We know that ministries like Samson Society and Pure Desire are here to help create that safe community and that roadmap to your healing. So you, or if someone you know are looking for help, go to puredesire.org or samsonsociety.com and start your healing journey today. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, hit the subscribe button, keep the conversation going, write a review, help others find the podcast. And lastly, never stop being healthy.